Hello and welcome to the Centiva Software Development Podcast. My name is Blake Kohler. I'm a software developer at Centiva. And with me is Wes. Hello. Yep, my name is Wes Meekum. I'm one of the UX designers here at Centiva. Today we're going to endeavor to have the first part of a multi-episode series talking about the RPS, pro- uh, RPS project that Centiva did for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. We're still doing this project. It's still underway, but the majority of it's been tackled. We thought it'd be interesting to tell you a little bit about what we're doing and what we've done and some of our successes and failures in, in doing this, this project. Um, Wes, do you remember the first time you heard about RPS? Yeah, I heard about RPS, uh, actually of the application, just pretty soon after I hired on here, so like a month after, we were initially working on a commercial product and then heard that we had won the contract to do, to replace these systems at the NRC. And that's when I heard about it. So I was head down in a commercial product and had to, you know, start making that shift into now we're doing this government contract. It was an interesting transition, right? Because we were building stuff for uh, normal commercial users, a commercial off-the-shelf thing, um, where all of a sudden we started building stuff for government. And there was a whole bunch of things that uh, that really became obstacles that I didn't expect in the government. I, I probably should have expected the bureaucracy and I should have expected other things, but being used to building software that was easy to just build and send to a user really uh, it, it was a bit of a culture shock all of a sudden to be building stuff for the government and, and a change of priorities and perspectives from a world in which we needed to build stuff that we could sell to make money to one where the money was there, the contract was signed, but now we had these deadlines we had to meet. Right? We're really intimidating to, to start out. Yeah, and if you if you weren't aware of the what kind of hurdles and hoops you'd have to jump through just getting your initial badging really gets you into that mode real quickly. Um, I remember you guys went out on a... You had your clearance before me because you had filled out the application before. And yeah. I filled it out right when I got here. Uh, and you guys were out. And so I was here. I was, Me and Andy were here. And so there was no, no one else here, no distractions. So I was able to spend... I took a full day just sitting around having to call my mom, get addresses for all my siblings and everyone else and fill out this package to get my clearance. And so that was like, oh, this is a lot different than what we had been doing. Yeah, there there was a wake up call when we do that uh, to get a security clearance and get a badge. A badge for for people that may not know is is just a, a physical ID badge that you get that gives you access to the facilities and to the network of the agency that you're working for. And so most agencies have these. Um, and you have to go through a security process to be able to get them, and a lot of that includes a background check. And so you literally get this pile of documents to fill out that includes asking, you know, where did you live for the last 10 years? Can you give us a reference from each of those places that you lived? Can you give us a few just character references? And so I remember calling up some people and being like, hey, someone may call you about me. Uh, can I have all your information so I can put it down so they can call you? And people wondering what the heck I did that, that was going to require people to investigate me. Um, no, I think I had some people thinking I was a spy, but uh, but it was, it was definitely an interesting experience. Uh, then there was that experience of actually going out and getting a badge. Like Wes mentioned, I, I went out before them, and we had a weird experience where the badging uh, server was down, and so I actually was out there for um, for a week without actually being able to get my physical badge. Um, but like before you have a badge, you have to go through this intense security getting into the building, and and they go through your stuff and make sure you're not trying to you know take any secrets in or out of the building and you have to be escorted everywhere uh, and it was a real wake-up call to like what am i building what am i doing here 
what is this crazy place and what did we get ourselves into? It, it was quite um, a culture shock, for lack of a better word. Yeah, the the badging process is, yeah, is, is interesting and definitely gets you in that mindset of you're doing something different than this commercial product we were doing. And I mean, a lot of us live in a software world where uh, if you get a new update, the software just pops up and says, hey, refresh your browser or whatever. And that's not the world of the federal government. And for some obvious reasons, they need some uh, very high security and things like that. Um, but yeah, it was getting that initial badge, which is, I think for most of us, that was our initial foray into the, the government world was just making sure we were cleared to work on it. One experience I thought was interesting right when I started, my job as a user experience designer is to talk to users. And I was not allowed to talk to users until I was cleared. And so I remember having to get a lot of my stuff secondhand from people that had clearance. And that was, made it very hard to, to do my job for the first month or two until I did get my clearance. It was really interesting being one of the few people with clearance because I was able to attend meetings and things and realize like, like I'm a software developer, I'm, I'm trying to solve a problem. But you'd be in these meetings where it's like, oh man, like probably management should be in these meetings, but management doesn't have clearance. And, and the amount of people that... Um, that were anxious about this project. You know, when, when we first went out, we had a meeting where somebody informed us, like, hey, this isn't the first time they've tried to do this project. That's it, failed three times before you guys took it over, and kind of, good luck, hopefully you can do better. Um, it really was a wake-up call into the the world of what we were doing. Right? RPS is, was, was a, a project that had a large scale and and really was something that was high risk, according to the government. Um, we didn't know any of that, I think, going into it. We, our eyes were, were fairly closed when it came to that. And so as it was gradually, uh, our eyes were gradually opened, um, I don't know, I, I became a little intimidated and, and kind of sometimes scared with what we were doing and also baffled that it was going to take so long, uh, confused that, that, it, that what we were building, which is relatively simple in my mind at the time, was, was going to be such an issue. Yeah, I remember Andy, who's our... He's our director, kind of our product manager. He was the project manager for this project. At some point, I don't remember when, but at some point he, he explained to me that this has failed multiple times at the government. You know, they've tried to do replace this application, and for some reason or other, it's failed every time. Um, three times, I think, and two of those times didn't even get to pass the research stage. And this was one that was, yeah, it was, that... I look back on it now, and I don't know why, but and maybe it was it was misplaced, or maybe I don't know what it was. But we were fairly young as a as a company. There was like nine of us up here. Yep. We were pretty confident in our ability to do this, and <laughs> I don't know if it was misguided confidence or if there was something about that we you know been working together for a little bit and you know trusted each other already. But I remember feeling confident, not ever feeling like will be another failure but like that we knew how to do this and you know I look back at it now and I definitely think now I think we are confident and we have reason to be confident back then we were confident I think without reason and that's I wonder why like th there was a level of arrogance and hubris I think in us uh, going through that of of course we can do this it's just software um, turns out developing stuff for the government is very little about software Right, a lot of it, more about it, is navigating political waters, and and we had amazing people to help us guide through that process, both internally and externally, 
Um, but it was a real rude introduction and, and wake-up call to realize that how well we develop software wasn't going to be the differentiator for us. Um, right? We needed to not only develop awesome software, but we needed to be able to navigate the political waters um, that, that came and, and do it well if we wanted to succeed. And, and that was really a challenge uh, as, we, as we grew and as we uh, became the company we are today. There was a part, and we'll probably talk about this in a later episode, but there was a part where, a, a time when the project looked like it had a chance of failing and had nothing to do with software, which was very interesting. Yep. You know, we were getting great responses from users and they were liking it, uh, but the project was in jeopardy, which that was foreign to me having, like you said, that out that software isn't the hardest part about getting software, government software going. Yep, it is really interesting to have outside influences, uh, you know, they could be political, literally had senators who, based off of what they said or what they requested, changed the software, or it could be, you know, uh, an edict from the executive, uh, you know, from the president that, that changes what we're doing, um, really influence and, and dramatically change uh, the software we're building, not necessarily the users, which is a, a completely foreign concept for me as we're developing software. It, it really has been strange thing, uh, but something we've adapted to and grown to. And, and frankly, I think the reason we are the company we are today is because of those lessons we learned in going through this process. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit about how this had failed multiple times. And when this, when we started this project, it was, looking back on it now, I think this was a really key moment that made this one successful is... And whoever made this decision, whether that be Andy or our core on the NRC side, someone made the decision that we're going to start with this Ults application. This was a smaller application in the RPS suite. RPS consists of, I think for them it consisted of like nine or ten different applications. We've, we trimmed it down to like four, four or five. Uh -huh. And so we started with Ults, which has a user base of six to seven, depending on the time, users, end users. And... And so we were able to start with this really small application, small, it still took us eight months, months to build, yeah. but small application with a small user base where we could talk to every single user every week. And that, I think, was key to helping us learn how to do this and how to train us to do this when we can't talk to every user every week. The other applications had thousands of users, and there was no way we were going to be able to do that. So I think starting with this Olds one, that was a, a good call and helped set us up for success. Really was. Well, if you want to learn more about Ults or any of the other parts of the RPS project, please tune in to, to future episodes as we'll discuss more in depth each of those projects, as well as some of the challenges and some of the failures that related that that made us who we are today. Thank you for joining. I hope you listen to some more.